Pushkin. The most innovative companies are going further with T-Mobile for Business. The PGA of America is helping lower scores and elevate fan experiences with AI coaching tools and 5G connected cameras. AAA is getting more drivers back on the road fast with location telematics. And the Las Vegas Grand Prix is powering race day operations with 5G connectivity, giving fans an experience at the speed they deserve. This is accelerating innovation with T-Mobile for Business. Take your business further at tmobile.com slash now. Did you know some travel credit cards offer 10 times points on your spending? Don't miss out on big rewards for your next trip. NerdWallet lets you compare smart travel credit cards side by side, curated by an expert team of finance nerds. What could future you do with better travel rewards? A free flight? A room upgrade? Don't wait to make smart financial decisions. Compare and find smarter credit cards, savings accounts, and more today at nerdwallet.com. Reminder, credit is subject to lender approval and terms apply. NerdWallet. Finance smarter. This is your moment, your time to shine, your comeback. You're ready for the next step in your career, and you want an education employer's respect. So you're not just going back to school. You're coming back with Purdue Global. Backed by Purdue University, one of the nation's most respected public universities, Purdue Global is built for people who bring their life experience into the online classroom. Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. This is Solvable. I'm Ronald Young Jr. If your goal is health, but your body doesn't change, if your body size does not change, or even worse in your mind, your body size gets bigger, will you still want to pursue health? Is that enough for you? The COVID-19 pandemic has forced many of us to consider our health in new ways. From reporting on our physical vulnerabilities and examinations of pre-existing conditions, to the stories highlighting mental health and our loss of human connections, just what health is can be complicated to define. In the United States, there's an often repeated idea that body size and overall health are linked. That oversimplification can be problematic. 79% of weight loss program participants report coping with weight stigma by eating more food. And eating disorders have the second highest mortality rate of all mental health disorders, surpassed only by opioid addiction. That's according to the National Eating Disorders Association. For me, I base my health on my blood work, on my consistency with going to the doctor. For me, it's how much of sleep am I getting? How much connection am I getting in my relationships? Rather than, am I eating enough fruits and vegetables? And am I exercising? Brie Campos used to work in an eating disorder clinic. She worked to help her young female clients to restore their weight, but she wanted to spend even more time helping them to redefine their relationships with food and their bodies. I think it scares the American public. We live in constant disarray with our relationship with food, and it's actually to a point of bonding. Like, we often connect around feeling bad about our bodies or feeling bad about food or, oh, I'm on a, I'm cheating today, I'm off. Today, Campos is a licensed mental health counselor and body image coach. She operates from the premise that health at every size is achievable. The Health at Every Size framework has been shown to improve cardiorespiratory fitness and reduce psychological distress in clinically obese people. 
it de-emphasizes weight in favor of a focus on overall health. Disordered eating and disconnection from your body are solvable problems. Health at every size at its core is the idea that regardless of our body size, we have the right to pursue health. And I don't deal with people's food, but their relationship to food and to their body. Talk to me a little bit about your journey to becoming a body image coach. I I got into the work because I lived it, lived life in a larger body, and my health was always assumed. And it impacted not only my relationship with my food, but with my body as well. What do you mean when you say people assumed your health? So my entire life, I was made to feel like your body size is a problem. And specifically doctors and family members, Mm -hmm. I did not struggle with an eating disorder in the same way that the girls that I worked with, but I definitely struggled with disorder eating because we pushed this singular idea of what beauty is supposed to be. And so not only did I see myself as larger, I also saw it as something that was disqualifying, that I would not be as successful in my career, that I would not be accepted, that I would not find a romantic partner. That doesn't even align with my values. I believe in not judging, quote unquote, a book by its cover. So why am I putting that standard on myself? In the in the last year, I've lost a lot of weight. And um, I think one thing I've noticed is like there are, for me, I can tell you that there's concrete things that have changed about my own body and my own like health that are tangible that I can see, whether it's like not being out of breath, whatever, all those things that are connected to being in a, in a smaller body. Absolutely. With all of that being said, what do you think is the disconnect between actually getting people to be healthy? Like just healthy, size agnostic, just healthy. What are we missing here? The health at every size approach is not anti-weight loss. It is anti-intentional weight loss through restrictive measures. Because we don't know what our body's going to do. So for me, in my recovery, my body got bigger. And Every time I lost weight, my mental health decreased significantly. And so that wasn't even being considered. And so I think that if we were to pursue health outcomes, regardless of how our body changes, that if we were to trust our bodies to do what they need to do, just like we trust them to go to the bathroom, just like we trust ourselves to fall asleep, that's how we would be able to measure and see health outcomes change. People of color they're suffering from body image issues and eating disorders at the same rate as white folks, but they're far less likely to receive a professional diagnosis or treatment. Is health at every size and weight inclusivity founded with a particular race or culture in mind? You know what? That is an incredible question. And I, I, I don't even know if I have an answer. It was probably written for what most things are written for, (laughs) right? So the, the most accessible white female. And now people are arguing that body positivity, health at every size should be a social justice issue. It is a social justice issue because if we are talking about accessibility, if we're talking about who has the ability to get mental health care, never mind eating disorder treatment, then 
how can we even begin to cover, you know, these issues? I worked in eating disorder center. We didn't even talk about fat phobia, never mind talking about racism or the patriarchy. And so I, I think that there's a deep need on the macro level. And sometimes if I go down the rabbit hole too far, I'm like, oh my God, what's the point? Like, <laughs> we're screwed. And so that's why I, I, I'm like, I see it and I know it and I, I hold importance for it. Now, according to the American Journal of Public Health, Health at Every Size has been shown to work on the individual level, but the study's authors didn't endorse it as a public health measure. What do you think the holdup is? Have you been like following the research or um, have your clients been a part of any of the recent studies? Here's the thing is nobody wants to fund that. The diet industry is a $72 billion industry that profits on the belief that dieting will help our health. So I, I would love for people to invest, to measure at that level, it, can health at every size help? Nobody benefits except the consumer, except us. We benefit from that. Don't you think that uh, the food companies and the people that make food, that whatever it is, this would be something that they could get behind where it's like, you know what I mean? Because if we're talking like not diet culture anymore, they were just being like, put butter on it. What are we doing here? You know what I mean? Like, it seems like there'd be more money from a different place. There are so many people who can get behind it. Yeah. One of the things that people crap on is like, I can't gain weight because then I can't fit in seats. I can't, um, you know, buy clothes. And I'm like, there's a huge industry here for companies to be like, all right, we can make it. We, we got it for you. So why don't people? Because I think it scares the American public. We live in constant disarray with our relationship with food. And it's actually to a point of bonding. Like if you can pull yourself back and you look at how we connect, we often connect around feeling bad about our bodies or feeling bad about food or, oh, I'm on a, I'm cheating today. I'm off. Once I was able to step outside of that, then I see like, oh man, like what I was doing there was it was a bid for connection. I just, I wanted to belong and I was so fearful that my body size or my food freedom was going to be the thing that exiled me. Am I still afraid of that now? Sure. Am I probably going to get flack back for this episode? Absolutely. Are people going to say that I'm justifying my body size by taking this position? Absolutely. Does that change my position? Not at all. So where do you think the idealization of thinness comes from and what do you do to push back? I'm giving your listeners lots of reading to do. Uh, <laughs> there is a book called The Beauty Myth written by Naomi Wolf. And she talks about how the beauty myth and the thin ideal has actually been carried with us through generations. That, that's rooted in racism. It's rooted in the patriarchy, that there is an ideal body size. Uh, Sabrina String's book, Fearing the Black Body, somebody profits off of there being an ideal and it's making it a desirability. And so the average female woman in the United States wears a size 16. And so how I push back from that is one, acknowledging what are my values and what are society's values. I was told by people, you're not going to be able to find a boyfriend if you don't lose weight. And I was able to recognize that's not true. I have friends in larger bodies who get married. I have friends in larger bodies who are having, you know, intimacy and 
are able to connect with their body with other people. So why is that message true for me? And I had to unlearn that message. And so my reframe is, I am not for everyone and I am deeply loved. That's where progress is made. I say this thing to my clients. Would you, if you could pursue health, if your goal is health, but your body doesn't change, if your body size does not change, or even worse in your mind, your body size gets bigger, will you still want to pursue health? Is that enough for you? That's a good question. I noticed that the Health at Every Size movement doesn't have a lot of data about successful outcomes with heavier groups. Do you think that there's any limitations to the Health at Every Size approach? I, again, I think that we would love to do more studies, but we need to have studies funded. I know, so I'm, I'm, I, I know it's a little bit of a whataboutism because I'm going in the opposite direction, but how long do we see weight loss successful for? The most that we have is about five years. For 5% of the people, we have sustained results, which means for 95% of the public, we're going to end up back in the same place that we started or heavier. And they're not giving you long lasting studies that are effective in changing health outcomes. Brie, a few weeks ago, we talked with Michael Moss. He's an investigative journalist. We talked about the exploitative nature of food companies. He believes that the food industry's product development actually contributes to food addiction. I will tell you off the back from my clinical perspective, I do not believe that people can be addicted to things that we need. And rather, I believe that restriction causes binging, that it, it's sort of like this pendulum and this pendulum is pulled. And so then once there's freedom, we swing in the opposite direction. Now, the first guideline of intuitive eating is to reject the diet mentality, the notion that there are good foods and bad foods, and to allow ourselves to have permission to eat all foods. And I, when I, when I say this to people, when I share this with clients, there's a lot of pushback. There's like, no, but if, I, if I'm allowed to eat this, I'm never going to stop eating it. And I have felt that myself. And I can tell you, I am in the largest body that I've ever existed in. And I have the best relationship with food because I was able to separate out those food rules. And now when I eat said food, it is out of desire and not out of restriction. So I think one of the things that is noted in that episode is we're born being addicted to the thing that we need, which is food and water. Do you think that still falls in line with what you're saying or does that fall in opposition to what you're saying? I think what we're arguing here is the nuance of addiction. And one of my favorite authors on addiction is Johan Hari. And he talks about addiction with the rat in a cage with cocaine water and regular water. The rat would go towards the cocaine water. But Johan Hari had followed another study that said, well, if you're just putting that in front of the rat, of course he's going to go to it. But what if you put the rat in an environment where he had friends and he had things to do and they called it Rat Park and you put it out of the way, would the rat be as likely to go towards the thing that it feels addicted to? And what they found in the research was no. And so what Johan Hari says about addiction is that the opposite of addiction is not sobriety, that it is connection. 
Yes, do people maybe use food as a coping skill? Yes, but why do we demonize that? If that is all you have access to, how do you define health? If you only define health based on body size, then sure, I'm not healthy. For me, I base my health on my blood work, on my consistency with going to the doctor as a, as a fat person, and I use fat in a reclaimed way. I, I get a lot of pushback from doctors who are, who are not in line with this health at every size paradigm. For me, it's how much of sleep am I getting? How much connection am I getting in my relationships? Uh, what does my mental health look like? It is it a true holistic approach rather than am I eating enough fruits and vegetables and am I exercising? And there's another book that I highly recommend people read. Lindo Bacon and Lucy Affermore wrote a book they wrote Health at Every Size, but then they also wrote a follow-up book called Body Respect. It says that food and exercise only make up 30% of health, that health is impacted majoritively by accessibility. And so we can't even get into the nuances of what these big companies are doing. Well, yes, that is important. If we can shift our relationship to said food, it's that we will trust our bodies to do what they need to do. I don't need any program to tell me how many times I need to go to the bathroom. I trust my body to do that. It's a natural reaction. Everybody was freaking out this year that they gained weight. And I'm like, if we were to think about this in, you know, the caveman times, if they were sheltered in and they were stuck in, we they would be grateful that their body sustained weight as a survivability mechanism. So I think we might be differing on the word of addiction. I think it has a negative connotation, but I, I truly believe in giving the power back to the consumer, to the person, that without feeling guilt, I can buy these foods that I have been told I'm not allowed to, and they don't have to control or consume your life. Hello, hello. This is Malcolm Gladwell from Revisionist History. In my book, David and Goliath, I tried to figure out how some people find the strength to take on the established way of thinking and turn it upside down. What does it take to be a disruptor? And I concluded that a disruptor is someone with a rare combination of three traits. First, you have to be open. You have to be willing to see and do things in new ways. Secondly, you have to be conscientious to follow through and make things happen. Those two are obvious. But the third one is the crucial one. You have to be willing to do what you think is right, even when everyone around you thinks you're an idiot. There isn't a brilliant innovator in history who wasn't surrounded by naysayers. Most of us can't take that kind of criticism, and we fold. But the disruptor doesn't. They soldier on. I've been looking at disruptors and their success stories a lot lately, partly because I'm working on a follow-up to The Tipping Point, and market disruption plays a key role in how ideas take off but also because I'm going to be the keynote speaker at this year's unconventional awards from T-Mobile for Business. It's an event where customers are recognized for kicking convention to the curb to elevate their company, while also doing meaningful things for their community and even the world. In fact, I'll be presenting the first ever Tipping Point designation, a new special distinction honoring one entrant that sparked transformative change for their organization. If this event sounds like your thing, I encourage you to find out more or even enter the unconventional awards to be recognized for your disruptive thinking. Win a donation to a charity of your choice and much more. You can enter before July 31st. 
at tmobile.com slash unconventional awards. That's tmobile.com slash unconventional awards. I'll save you a seat. As listeners to this show, you probably consider yourself pretty smart. But how smart is your wallet? When you're looking to upgrade your wallet, it's time to turn to NerdWallet. Their expert team of nerds has the financial smarts to help you find the right financial products for you. Before NerdWallet, you might have paid for vacations with whatever was in your wallet. But you could have been missing out on miles you didn't even know you were leaving on the table. Now you can get a new card with more miles and more upgrades. What could future you do with more travel rewards? A hotel upgrade? Lounge access? Wherever you go next, make it happen with a smarter travel card. Don't wait to make smart financial decisions. Compare and find smarter credit cards, savings accounts, and more today at nerdwallet.com. NerdWallet. Finance smarter. As with all cards, credit is subject to lender approval and terms apply. Like many of us, you might think identity theft will never happen to you. But consider this. There's a new identity theft victim every three seconds in the U.S., That's over 15 million people by the end of this year, equal to the populations of New York, Los Angeles, and Chicago combined. Even worse, identity theft victims often don't even know they're victims. That's why LifeLock Identity Theft Protection alerts you to identity threats, even the ones that don't show up on a credit report, like data breaches, fraudulent bank transactions, loan and credit card applications, and crimes committed in your name. If your identity is stolen, your own dedicated LifeLock U.S.-based restoration specialist will work to fix it. LifeLock protects you in ways that you simply can't on your own. Join now and save up to 25% your first year at lifelock.com slash news. That's lifelock.com slash news to save up to 25%. Identity theft protection starts here. Bree, I read that in your practice, you explore something called body grief with your clients. Tell me more about that. Yes. When I was in in the thick of my body image journey, and I realized that because of some of the health complications that I have, which are hormonal and autoimmune, that the likelihood that my body will ever change or be small, the fact that I will never be able to attain that ladder, I had to explore the depths of what that grief meant or said to me. I had to learn how to belong to myself. And in that, I had to say goodbye to things that I wasn't going to get. So I would never get the praise and adoration from my family around being in a smaller body. I would never be seen to society as a success story. In allowing myself to go to those dark places with grief, sharing with other people and realizing I'm not the only one who feels this way, it lifted that burden of being alone in my body image. And Elizabeth Kubler-Ross actually wrote the stages of grief. They're originally the stages of death, and we're familiar with them. And it is denial, anger, bargaining, bargaining, depression, and then acceptance. And acceptance is not, yay, death. Yay, I have to live in a bad body image. 
That's never what acceptance was, right? Acceptance was, I am here. And I'm glad you I got, enjoyed that I got one. stuck on yay death. You said yay death. Like, <laughs> but it's true. And I think that there's this misconception that acceptance is going to be like, yay, I love my fat body. And here's what I'll tell you, that my body acceptance does not mean that I love all the parts of my body. It's not like I, I have some acne over here. That, I'm not excited about it. I don't love it. But it no longer holds a narrative that I am less than. And that is acceptance. That is body acceptance. What can our listeners do to support the Health at Every Size movement, to learn more about it, to help promote a more weight-neutral approach to health for themselves and among their friends? I, I love the idea of weight neutrality, right? Because uh, of being weight inclusive feels very hard at times. So of if we can just begin to be neutral towards it, the thing that you can do is begin to explore your own relationship with your body and with your relationship with food and begin to unravel where did this come from? Where did this belief system exist? I recommend reading Sonia Renee Taylor's book. I recommend reading Sabrina String's book. I recommend reading The Beauty Myth by Naomi Wolf, Health at Every Size and Body Respect and Anti-Diet. I recommend getting into the literature and understanding. So we're deprogramming from diet culture, like deprogramming from a cult. On the macro level, that is a great question. And my my thought is I, I don't know. So I just keep showing up and talking. And hopefully people like yourself will listen. Thank you so much for being with us, Bree. Thank you for having me. This has been such an honor. Bree Campos is a body image coach and mental health counselor based in New Jersey. Be sure to check out our show notes for links to all the books that Bree mentioned in this episode. Solvable listeners, it's summer, and we're going to take a two-week break to enjoy it. We'll be back in mid-August with a terrific collection of solvables for you, starting with a conversation with Ibram X. Kendi from our sister podcast, Be Anti-Racist. We're going to talk with him about how to endure while doing anti-racism work. Sometimes we get a little tired in those spaces. He's going to teach us how to get through it. We're still reading tweets while we're away. Please write us. What are the problems that you'd like to hear us discuss on this show? What do you need solutions for? Tweet at us with the hashtag solvable. You can tweet at me at oh, it's big Ron. That's at O-H-I-T-S-B-I-G-R-O-N or at Pushkin Pods. That's at P-U-S-H-K-I-N-P-O-D-S. Solvable is produced by Jocelyn Frank. Research by David Ja. Booking by Lisa Dunn. Our managing producer is Sasha Mathias, and our executive producer is Mia LaBelle. I'm Ronald Young Jr. Thanks for listening. The tradition of breaking tradition continues with the return of the unconventional awards from T-Mobile for Business at Mobile World Congress. 
This is an event that celebrates innovators whose bold actions took their industries to new places. If that sounds like you and you're a T-Mobile for Business customer, enter today. If you win, you'll be publicly honored among some of the most influential leaders in industry and me. I'll be there too. Enter now at T-Mobile.com slash unconventional awards. See you there. Hello, it is Ryan and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on chumbacasino.com. I looked over the person sitting next to me and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's chumbacasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. BTW. Void. we prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. You ever get the feeling the city walls closing in, the concrete jungle suffocating your soul? You crave wide open spaces, the chance to connect with nature, maybe chase some elk, fish a private stream. Well, listen up. There's a whole world out there, and finding your own piece of it just got easier. Head over to land.com. They've got ranches, forests, mountains, you name it. Search by acreage, location, the kind of hunting or fishing you dream of. Land.com. It's where the adventure begins.